So the time at hand, I'm just going to invite you just to bow your heads and let's ask the Lord to just bless, bless his word today. Father, thank you. You're such a good God. You deserve our highest praise. Today, what a joy it has been so far just to be in your courts, to sing, be in your courts, to, to, to lift up uh, our prayers to you. Father, just to uh, uh, express how grateful we are for you in the good times and in the times of sorrow, and that you are everything to us. In a special way, I just ask for you to, you know, to be with uh, Brother Raj and his family, and to express to them and share with them how much you love them, bless them with, their, with your comfort and your peace during this time. And Father, we're so glad that this is not the end for Brother Jacob. We're so glad, Father, that because of all that you have done through Jesus Christ, our Savior, you have provided a path to eternity with you. And so that's the hope that we live with today, even with the passing of Brother Jacob, that one day the family and ourselves will be able to see him again. And so as we turn to your words, I pray, Lord, that you just teach us. I commit all that I am into your hands. Father, I welcome the, the free flowing of the Holy Spirit throughout my life. And I just ask that you'll teach me as you teach your people. May we all be blessed. May we all be changed in the process. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turning your Bible to Luke chapter 15. A familiar story. <clears throat> Luke chapter 15. Growing up throughout uh, my time going to church, um, I've always heard this parable being called the prodigal son. You remember it, Sister Small? The prodigal son. The more I read the, 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 the chapter, though, I've come to find out that the son is not the center of the parable. I used to wonder why called this parable the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, there are more than one sons in the Bible, right? In this chapter. And both of them are actually important because as you read through the parable, you see where there's a lot of contrast taking place between both sons. But still, the parable is not focused on the two boys. If I would have the opportunity to rename <laughs> The topic of this parable, you know what I would rename it? I love that. I heard that. The parable is actually about the father. He's a focus. And I heard you say prodigal father. I would just change one word, which is the same. But just to narrow it a bit so it's a little bit more clearer, I would say the extravagant father. Because that's what prodigal means, 
extravagance. In, in fact, extravagance overboard. And so the extravagant father, the story actually begins not in verse 11, which many people start this story. The story actually begins in verse 1 and 2. <laughs> right? And so I'm going to invite you there. Let's start right there. The prodigal, the extravagant father. Wow. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes explained, saying, This man received what? Sinners and eats with them. You know what Jesus is facing here is a problem throughout his ministry, throughout Jerusalem. There were so many people who were saying things about Jesus that was so false. In fact, they would say things about the Father that were not correct. And most of the times while ministering, you'll find Jesus trying to explain to the people what the Father was like. And why would he spend so much time trying to explain what the Father was like? Is because there were so many misconceptions about God. Are you with me? And what he's like. The Pharisees were portraying God, the Father, as someone who was completely not what he was. Sure enough, um, uh, the Pharisees did many things that I liked. But in fact, they used to try to, their, their goal was trying to work their way into heaven, and you can't do that. Because there's nothing of this flesh, there's nothing of this life that is good. Amen? Come on, y'all. No matter how much good things we do in life, it cannot commend us before God. No matter how many law-keeping we keep, it doesn't commend us to God. The truth is, God loves law-keeping. Hallelujah. But he loves it when it's done through love. Let me say it that way. All right? If you love me, Jesus says, then keep all the laws. Is that true? If you love me. If you truly desire me, if you truly desire to be in a relationship with me, then you will honor me. It's not about keeping the laws to be saved. It's simply because I'm saved why I keep the law. All right? And the Pharisees were misrepresenting the Father regarding that and many other things. And so Jesus said, you know what? Let me explain to you what the Father is like. And he's taking this opportunity to do that because he spent his time, his time with the sinners. Are you with me? And also he spent his time with the tax collectors. Can you imagine tax collect spending time with tax collectors? Listen. Uh, if we know you spend time with the IRS agent, you're probably not going to be our friends, right? What I'm trying to say is the tax collectors during that time, they were Jewish people. But they were collecting taxes 
from their own people for the Romans who were occupying their city. Are you with me? And if anything about the Romans that you know, they weren't friendly, kind people. And oftentimes they'll treat the Jewish people poorly. And here you have tax collectors taking money from the same people to give to the Romans. And Jesus was spending time with those tax collectors. And when the Pharisees saw that, they said, how can this man be someone who is telling us about God? Are you with me? And then not only the tax collectors, this man is spending time with sinners. He, he says he's godly, right? But yet still he's hanging out with the ungodly. Hmm. That's what was going on. And Jesus had to put an ex, ex, explanation behind all of this so that no one would misinterpret what the Father is like. And that's what a parable is. A parable is simply a story that would take an earthly situation that most people know about and to use that illustration to explain something about heaven, something about God, and make it a little bit clearer. So Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the what? I'm in verse 11, y'all, sorry. I'm in verse 11. Uh, he said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. This is the older or the younger? This is the younger. In fact, in Jewish tradition, he's actually at the back. But he wants it now, right? Because the inheritance goes first to the who? The older. In fact, most of it goes to the older. Two-thirds of it goes to the, the older. All right? And so the younger one, he's bold. Father, I want my inheritance now. In fact, do you know what he was trying to say to the father? When do you get your inheritance? When does somebody get an inheritance? So this young boy was saying to the father, I wish you were dead. That's what he was saying. I wish you were dead. I want to live my life, and somehow you're holding me back. I wish I could just have what I want and go and do what I want to do and not be tied down in your home with all of the rules and regulations you have me living under. Are you with me? Father, give me my portion. Now, this father could have easily said, boy, go to your room. Come on, y'all. All right? He could have easily put on some discipline right there. But this father, listening to his son, said this. So he divided, the Bible said. He divided to them 
his livelihood. The father actually granted this young son his request. And I tell you what, sometimes that's the, the harshest action a parent can take. When the parent says, okay, do what you want to do. That simply means that you have reached the level where, listen, discipline doesn't work anymore. Now that's the highest level of discipline. Just go have your way. You remember when they were, they were, wanting, they were about to kill Jesus? And Jesus looked at the crowd, looked at the people, and he just said to the, the folks, hurry up and do what you need to do. Are you with me? Hurry up and do it. That's what was happening to this son. Because the father knew, you know, if this son leaves the home, what's going to happen to him? He knows that what's out there is so much worse for him. And the father said, Okay, go. And sometimes God does that to us. Sometimes God's, God's been working on us with certain things that we've been going through that we know is wrong. And we're pushing for it day in and day out and doing these things and not turning around and God is keeping prodding on our hearts. But we're not listening to him. And sometimes he says, okay. Some of the more, that, that one word is a damning word. Okay. But you know what? Even though the father said, okay, here it is, go. It's not like the father turned his back on the son, right? In fact, you're going to learn later what the father was doing when the son went. But sure enough, go. And not many days later, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a what? Far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, extravagant living. He took all the money and he went to the, the most expensive clubs, drinking all kinds of stuff that he never drank back home, messing up his health. He, he, there are times I can imagine while he's drinking, he, he, he'll, he was probably saying, I'm so glad I'm out of my father's home because over there life is so boring. Are you with me? Life in my father's home is so boring. Life in the church is so boring. But now here I am in the party and I'm living up life. Are you with me? It's exciting. And he's taking those gulps while he's talking. And while he's dancing, he's having a good time. So he says, but while he's having a good time, the Bible said, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. The life in the world is like this. It's like prodigal living. 
Life in the far country, away from home, away from heaven, away from the Father, it's like this. It feels good, as it said here, for a while, but guess what it's doing? It's bringing you further and further away from God. And it's moving you in a destiny that you sure don't want to end up in. And myself, that's not, that's not what God wants for us. But when he had spent all, there arose a what? severe famine in the land. You know what I said when I read that? I said, thank God for the famine. Come on, y'all. That's what I said. I remembered when I, when I read that a long time ago. I said, man, God sent a famine. Why? To hurt him? He was already hurting. Isn't that true? I mean, he was at the lowest he could go. He was at the lowest he could have been at that time, and God sent a famine. The Bible said, but when he had spent all, all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he became to be in want. Now he has a need. You know, I was talking to one of my elders this week, and he shared with me a book based upon a research that was done with people who people who came into money. Meaning they were living a certain life before, but now something changed. They end up with money. And the study was simply looking at how um, how what changed in their lives, especially spirituality. And sure enough, Spirituality declined as the money increased. You see, the more you, you, you don't have a lack, you now depend on what you have. You see what I'm saying? And that's what's happening right now in our world. People get affluent. They don't need God anymore. Are you with me? But not everyone, because there are people who God has blessed with how to steward his resources well. Are you with me? Resources that he has blessed them with, they have done amazing with that. But accordingly, riches as a way of corrupting people. And this young man stands in that, 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 uh, that study. He got all the money he wanted, and guess what happened? Spend it all, didn't manage it well, and he ended up in a bad place. He ended up in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the what? Of that country, and he sent him into fields to feed what? He ended up feeding swine, a, a Jewish lad. Huh? Can you imagine him? feeding the swines, all he can think about at that time was, man, I had it when I was at home. 
Because at home, there's no swine, right? There's no swine at home. There's no, nothing like this. I had it made at home. Now in the world, everything is going south. I'm actually feeding swines. You know, that's what sin does to people. Do you know that's what the world, worldly lifestyle does to people? For a while, it makes they make them feel so secured. Are you with me? It makes them feel like things are happening somehow. And then, in rapid successions of all kinds of events in life, it's sin tears them down. And the goal of sin is to get them to the point where they reject God. This young man is a prime example of what sin can do to a life. And the truth is, I hear, I'm here to say, Elder Stewart, as long as I've been in the church, in the Father's house, it has never been boring to me. Amen? There's never been a boring life. It's actually, to me, this life is far more exciting than the life out there. In fact, this life makes sense to me while that life seems foolish to me. It's the other way around that way many people think. This is wisdom right here in the Father's house. To me, that's foolishness outside. That out there always heads down, while here heads up. That's why Jesus said, I have no love for the world. Do you notice how Jesus came into this world, Brother Gonzalo? I mean, the richest man who ever put his feet on planet Earth came into this life, and he was teaching us how to live. You know what he did? He said, I need a simplified life. Watch him. Pay attention to him. And he lived a very simple life while he was here. Because he knew. He knew what he was fighting against. Are you with me? He knew what he was fighting against. And many young people might think that outside there with all the glamour and the glitz and whatever is out there, that is the life that they should aspire to. Today, Jesus is clearly saying, no. The life that you should aspire to is the life within the Father's home. And he would gladly have filled his stomach, the Bible says, with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. While he had money, everybody was flocking him. When he had none, what happened? Everybody left him. Are you seeing what sin does? It strips you of everything that's of eternal value. It strips you, even our friends. But when he came to himself, thank the Lord he came to himself. So the famine helped to do that, right? The famine helped to strip him of everything, right? To lay him bare before God. And so therefore now, now 
He's standing before God there, and the Bible said, but when he came to himself, thank God this young boy came to himself. In other words, I want to tell you, folk, that God never left this young boy. And he will never leave you or me as well. He's always hunting after us, even when we go astray. What a God. When I think about my two boys, I, I, I can see the father's heart here, right here in the story. Because if, when my boys do anything that I don't like, it's not as if they're now not my boys, all right? They're still my sons, good or bad. Isn't that true? And I can see myself running after them, doing things for my boys that they don't even know, just to protect them. I'm going to come back to this at the end. But Bible said when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's what? Hired servants have bread enough to what? To spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him what? Father, I have? Is that a good approach? He left the father and he treated the father so poorly. And his approach is to come back and say, Dad, I'm sorry. Good beginning. Right? Good beginning. We're going to come back to that at the end. But watch this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't know that wasn't a true statement. <laughs> right? But anyway, that's how he felt. He really felt bad about what he did to his dad. Make me one of your what? So in his mind, Check this, check this lad out. In his mind, there's no way on earth that his father would take him back and put him at the high place as a son. The only thing he can conceive is the best place for him, if he was ever taken back into the home, is that he would be a what? A servant. So that's how low his thinking was about this dad. And that's what many of the Pharisees would even think as well. There's no way possible God would elevate this boy after all that he has done. If God was ever going to put him anywhere else, he would start him back at the lowest. Are you with me? Jesus is challenging some thought about what people think about God and what he's like. But watch this. And he arose and came to his what? But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. How did the father know that he was coming? Are you with me? You know what I think happened here? Jesus is saying, when the father said to him that they go, that the father, every day, would step out on his porch and would keep looking. When is he coming home? I hope he comes home. And I want to see him on the journey coming back, right? I can just see the father every day praying for the son. 
asking God to protect him while he's out there living that kind of lifestyle and bring him back. Get to him, God, like a Rottweiler. Jump on him. Are you with me? I can just see the father every day praying for this lad. Lord, please protect him, even in the sin that he's doing right now. Have grace upon him, Lord. Please bring him back home. And he's, he's out there on the porch just, just every day looking for that son to come. And sure enough, one day, he saw a silhouette. And he said, that silhouette looked different than any other I've seen in all my life. It looks like only one person. Yes. Hallelujah. I can just see him starting to get so excited as the silhouette become to get closer and closer to him. And the Bible says, let's continue here, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had what? Oh my. Had what? In other words, the father wasn't saying, yes, it's now time for me to discipline this boy. Are you with me? Where's the belt? Are you with me? That was down the father's mind when the father saw that it was him. I can just imagine a great overwhelming joy just came over this father, seeing this son. And Jesus continues saying, telling the story. He had compassion on him, and look what the father did. Now, now, Jewish men during those times, it's not like they wear a jacket and ties like, like us, right? They wear overalls. Are you with me? And so just, just think of this father, a very respected man in the community. All right? And he's in his overall. And when he saw that it's actually his son, I can just see him going like this. Are you with me? I can just see him lifting it up. And the Bible said he ran. That's what the Bible said. He ran to the son. I am telling you that Jesus is saying in this scripture, this is what the father is like and this is how he will treat every sinner. He's extravagant when he does it. He's not mincing pieces together trying to save anything. He rather waste his grace overflowing are you with me he's not trying to spare any grace he's trying to give you give you more than you even deserve so when he saw this lad coming the bible said he lift up his well he ran which means lift up his thing and i can just see this father right just run. i remember he was a far way off so that's a good run and this dad just can Man, I hope to see that. I hope Jesus shows a picture. I know it's just a story. I know it's just a story, but just to look at this father running. And he, he wasn't in the wrong. Who was in the wrong? The son was. This father is truly extravagant when it comes to grace. He'll waste it on you. He'll pour it in such a way that it'll just overflow. But not only did he run, he, when he reached, reached to the sun, the Bible said, he fell on his neck and what? Can you imagine that? 
So yeah, I can just see this dad hugging the son. You know when you haven't seen your wife or your husband or your children or somebody you love for a while, and you go to the airport, right? And you're there waiting to see them, and then they just bust through the door. How does that make you feel? Right? And you just run up to them and you give them a big hug and well, kiss them too, right? I kiss my boys. I, I, it's okay. Uh, that's just me, right? But, but I can just see this dad just running up and just giving. And the boy, he's shocked. He's like, what's this man doing? <laughs> he's probably asking, what, what, what got into this father, right? But I can just see the father just hugging him and just squeezing him. And oh man, this, this boy that was lost, he's now found, he's now home. And this man, he didn't care what people in the city were now saying, talking about him. He didn't care about nothing. All he could, could fathom is that God has brought his son back home. And he just kissed and kissed this son. And then the Bible said, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I can just see the father doing this. Just put his finger, stop for a moment. This, I'm only halfway right now. I have another half to give you. And he said to, it, to the son, but the father, but verse 22, but the father said to the servant, bring the what? Bring the robe? Bring the what? Bring the best robe. Not just any robe. Are you with me? The father said, listen, I mean, think about it. The Pharisees would say, they don't even deserve, he doesn't deserve even a robe. Now you're calling for the best robe? Father is extravagant. Bring the best one in there. Bring it come. And not only that, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. Oh my, the ring. Put a ring on his. Do you know how important a ring was in that society? That's how they used to sign documents. With the ring. In other words, this, this son took his money Spent it all off. And now the father is saying, I'm restoring you in such a way where you will have charge over money. I'm putting you back. Uh, can you imagine that? In other words, what, what would we do? We would never do that. Come on, y'all. We would say, now you got to work yourself back up, right? You got to show me some trust. Isn't that true? Right? The father said, He's so extravagant. He's like, when I restore you, I bring you back to the fellowship. I put you back to where you belong. Can you imagine? You don't have to go work in the penance. You don't have to go over and say this or that or do whatever else. When I forgive you, I forgive you as if you have never sinned. Can you imagine that? What a God. I forget what you have done in such a way where I will never, ever use, use it against you again, ever. I will never use the fact that they took all the money and spend it off 
as a way of treating you in the now and the future. I'll never use that again. That's extravagant forgiving. This father is a true prodigal. And the Pharisees, when they heard that, they could not understand that because to them, God would never do stuff like that. He would never do it like that. The father restored the son to where he was. Wow. And then finally, put sandals on his feet. Of course, that young lad needed some shoes, right? Can't imagine just walking in that mud barefoot every day with the pigs. He needed some shoes, Elder Marlon. He needed some protection. Give him the sandals. And then, and then, where am I? And bring the fat, oh, the fatted calf, oh my. Bring, bring the best calf. And not only bring it, but do what? Kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead. And is again, he's alive. He was lost and is? And they began to be merry and happy. What a story. What a way of expressing what God truly is like. This is what he's like. How can a person resist such a God? Can you imagine? If they resist him and what he's trying to do for them, it means that they're saying, I'm simply accepting my fate. Are you with me? And you know what? That is okay. Because the Bible says, we all know it, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that what? Whosoever believeth. Whosoever believeth. So we all have the opportunity. And we can face this God who loves people like no human beings can ever love them. And we can say, God, I want that extravagance. Isn't that amazing? And he will never deny you of it. What a God. This is why I do what I do. Honestly. Because I've experienced the extravagance of God in my life. His extravagant grace. I know from where I'm coming from. And truth be told, if you were standing here, you would say the same thing. Isn't that true? When you think back at your life and even think of your life right now, you can see how God throughout the years have just blessed you with his grace. You have done wrong and I've done so much. But I tell you what, the grace of God has not only forgiven me, but it has helped me not to do those things. Are you with me? It's a constant growth. And I just want to say today, standing before the people of God, and I just want to ask, is there anyone here today who would like to say to the Father above, Lord, would you be my prodigal? Would you be my extravagant father? 
If you'd like to say, Lord, just like this prodigal son, I'm choosing you as my God and the Lord of my life. And if you want to stand with this pastor and declare that, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. Lord, I'm choosing you as my father. I'm choosing you as my prodigal. I don't know, those who are watching online, wherever you are, you can also choose to make a decision. For this father. Let's bow your heads with me. <coughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, I'm standing here while our pianist is playing, and I'm considering her as well as standing, as well as others in the pews who might be sitting, but their hearts are also reaching out to you. Here we are, standing before you today saying, <clears throat> we need you just like this prodigal son. We recognize that without you, we're nothing. We recognize that this world we live in has so much temptation and appeal that will pull us and draw us away from you. And sure enough, there are times, and even now, there are things that we recognize that are not healthy in our relationship together. And so today we're asking, Father, if you just forgive us. Just like this prodigal who came to his father and said, Father, forgive me. There are people here today, including myself, who are saying the same thing to you. Father, we want to be excited and stay excited in your home. So, Father, bless us with the Holy Spirit. Father, pour into our hearts, our minds, the full measure of the, the Holy Spirit so that we will have a, a blessed taste of your, of your life here in your house. May the things, Father, in your temple, may the things, Father, uh, uh, that, that you adore and cherish be the very things we adore and cherish as well. Father, I pray that you would, you would just lavish us with your forgiveness this morning, this afternoon, that you just lavish us, Father, with your power that will help us not to go back, but to continue going forward. Hallelujah. I pray, Father, that this church when we experience your extravagance, we'll work with you, Father, to share it with others, to rub shoulders with others, to do whatever we can to make other people experience this wonderful grace, forgiveness, and peace that comes from above.
Thank you, Father. May you be blessed throughout our lives. Now <clears throat> and forevermore we pray in Jesus' name. The church of the living God say, Amen. Amen.